Hey, how are you? Uh, this is Dave Broadbeck. I'm going to get technical doctor Dave Broadbeck. And I'm going to tell you about, in the following lecture, Psychology 2606, or Biology 2606, whatever you prefer. Introduction to Behavioral Neuroscience for the Winter 2024 term. Don't say 2024. Stop talking like that. You never said 1,993. Of course, most of you weren't born yet, but we didn't. So, anyway. Uh, right, so here's the lecture. Hope you enjoy it. If you don't, don't really care, as long as you learn something. All right, let us begin uh, our first class. So, when I say our, it's not mine. I've had many classes. Okay, shut up now. Thanks. So, Today, we're going to talk about uh, topics as kind of history and origins, and it's the first half of this is talking about the history and origins of studying this kind of thing. So we'll be some philosophical stuff, some biological stuff. I'll talk about evolution, which will bore some of you, and that's too bad, because I'm going to say it over and over. And then uh, the second part of it is about human evolution in general, which is pretty cool stuff, and we'll get to that likely on Tuesday. Um, right. So, the course is about the relationship between brain and behavior. As I think I told you the other day, the course used to be called brain and behavior until we thought that was a stupid name. And by we, I mean me. I said, this is a stupid name, let's change it. Let's describe it better, and I think we've done a better job now. But the book's, I believe, called brain and behavior. Even. So, that's what this course is about. It's about that relationship. So, these are questions that have you know, while I'm talking, shut up. Thank you. Next time, leave. Thank you. So, this has involved many people, philosophers, psychologists, physicians, random people, people who talk in class, all kinds of people have wondered about the relationship between, the, between brain and behavior. Now, the weird thing is we have to do, unfortunately, is define a couple of terms. And I typically don't like when people say, well, first we have to define our terms, because I find they're just being annoying. But we really do. We have to find out what the words, look, you probably know what they mean, but let's, okay, look, it's an effect, it's, it's, it's just a way for me to talk about stuff, but seriously, we should talk about this. So what is brain? Well, first of all, it could be a cartoon character from when my daughter was little, named the brain. You should know about the brain, thinking in the brain, you should look that up. There's a great neuroanatomy YouTube, well, it's on YouTube now, the great neuroanatomy video of Binky in the Brain talking about human anatomy, and it's great. Brainstem, brainstem. It's awesome. Uh, so, well, the first thing is you can kick it. Oh, don't kick people in the head. But what I'm saying is it's something you can touch. It's a physical thing, isn't it? The brain's a physical thing. And a buddy of mine, Rob Hampton, that I went to grad school with, Rob used to always say, if you can't kick it, it ain't real. I kind of like that. It's a very materialistic approach to science, which is science is a materialistic thing, and I mean that it deals not with, it, that, that, I don't mean it, it wants to buy more stuff. That's not that kind of materialism. Philosophically, materialism, it means the provable, the testable, uh, things like that. So that's one thing, it's a, it's a thing, it's up there. 
It's tissue. You know, it's, it's stuff in your head. It's an organ. Right? It's all that stuff rolled into one. Is it just the wrinkly thing in your head? Well, technically, yes. And of course, technically, technically correct. It's the best kind of correct. So it is really just that. That's true. But there's certain behaviors you can't do, or that are originated from different parts of your nervous system, not from your, the wrinkly bits of your head. You need a spinal column to do lots of stuff. You need one to walk. Right? You're not going to get very far without a spinal column. So if someone breaks their neck, I hope nobody happens to know of you, but if it does, uh, sorry. Well, I didn't do it, so I shouldn't do it. Anyway, maybe I did. Maybe you were talking and I came with a broken neck. But anyway, uh, that got a little dark. I apologize. So um, if somebody's quadriplegic can't walk. They're in a wheelchair, right? So that's pretty difficult. They need a spinal column to walk. You can't do those behaviors without that thing. There are what are called spinal reflexes that never even get to your brain. They never even get to your brain. So you can't, can't walk without a spinal column. And you know, you think, well, walking is kind of boring behavior, but it's behavior, and it's pretty important behavior too. Is how we get around. So we're probably gonna have to include some other parts of we're going to see a blackboard, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, Scotty in uh, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. A blackboard. How quaint, you know. Computer. Hello, computer. It's a movie. You should all watch it. Get my Star Trek references so I can start mad at you. So, speaking of that, that's that line. Brain, brain, brain actually comes from the worst episode of all Star Trek episodes. Season 3, episode 1, Spock's brain where they steal Spock's brain. That's why I said they kind of like Captain Kirk. Where they steal Spock's brain. Like the, most, the most sexist line in an incredibly sexist episode of Star Trek is when Captain Kirk actually says, where are the leaders? Where are the men? Which is just wonderful. But, so the definition of brain really needs the thing in the head. We're going to have to include some other stuff. Other parts of your nervous system. We, we, we can make a division, but we can't, like, not study those other things. Oops. So this is actually, and how they relate to behavior. So this is what people have called the mind-body problem. So we're going to talk about the, the cerebellum, the spinal column, and the brain, and other parts of the nervous system, and how they relate to your body. Now, they're all part of your body. People get really caught up in this whole notion that the mind and the body are separate. And I mean really cut up. In fact, so much so. Who thinks the mind and the body are separate things? Put your hand up if you do. It's okay if you think that. I'm just asking the question. Okay, now that I've played my hand, obviously, none of you are going to admit Because like 90% of people will say, they to show that, that the mind and the body are separate. The mind and body can't be separate. Where do you think your, body, your mind comes from? It can kick, right? It comes from up here. So it's a silly thing, but it's something, it's so silly that it's bothered people for about 3,000 years. <laughs> so people are still thinking about this. By the way, you ask an experimental psychologist, a neuroscientist, 
about this? They go, well, you got any other stupid questions you want to ask me? It's like, of course they're not separate. But most of the world isn't people like all of us, which is probably good. So the nervous system, guys, like I asked nicely a couple times, I yelled shut up once, and you just tone it way down, or if you have a question, ask it, it would be awesome. Thanks. So the nervous system, so let's talk about, because we're talking nervous systems, can we divide it up into, well, three different subsystems? The central nervous system is the spine, it's not a column, I'm sorry, the brain, and the cerebellum. The communication in this system is what's called neural. What do I mean by that? I mean communication is done through neurotransmitters, which we don't usually talk about, but they're just chemical messengers. You should know what they are, uh, roughly. Right? So the communication in the central nervous system is neural. That's it's it's done, it's a, an electrochemical process. The peripheral nervous system, that's the nervous system outside your brain, your cerebellum. Your cerebellum's right at the back here. I didn't bring the brain. I have a brain uh, model that I'll bring typically. I can draw on the chalkboard. I, I haven't used a blackboard in a long time. So now I'm going to draw a brain. And it's such a bad looking brain that it looks like an army helmet. See? An army helmet. If that's your brain, then right below it is this thing here called the cerebellum. That's Latin. It means, cera means, uh, I mean brain, that's all, right? And bellum, so it really just means little brain. And it means cute little brain, if you want to use the Latin. Yes, I took Latin for four years in high school. And if I ever run into a Roman soldier who's time traveling, I'm your guy. I can look at that Roman soldier and say, I almost said something horrible. I'm glad I didn't say that. It's funny, you edit things out as you go. Uh, I could say, Tennis Estin Mensa stat. The dog is standing on the table. I couldn't say anything useful, but I can say little things I remember from Latin class in high school. Um, so that's the cerebellum. Peripheral nervous system, these are the nerves that make you move and the nerves that detect things, all this. So the fact that I can move my arms, it starts up here, it goes through my spinal column, but there are neurons that are connected to my arms. Right? Okay. The communication is also neural here. One of the big differences between these two, you think, well, why do we divide them? Um, we can make new neurons. We can make new brain, what people call brain cells. In the peripheral nervous system, we can't, pretty much can't in the central nervous system. So we don't get what's called neurogenesis in the central nervous system, where it's so, there is so little neurogenesis in an adult human, we just say there isn't any. It's on the order of a couple of hundred a day that happens. You've got 10 to the 14th of them. So a couple of hundred a day doesn't really affect you too much. Um, whereas in the peripheral nervous system, they go back. Because if they didn't, how many people here skimmed their knees badly as little kids running around? We all did, yes, of course. Is it still numb where you hurt yourself? No. 
It probably was for a couple of weeks, months, even perhaps a couple of years. There was a patch here on my hand. There's a scar there that happened on June 4th, 1977. I fell off my bicycle and I slid on my hand. You'll find that's a bad move. And as I was 12, I wasn't wearing cycling gloves because I don't think they were even a thing in 1977. So uh, yeah, and that hurt. And for a long time, it was numb. Uh, both of my thumbs, it's maybe hard to see this, uh, are numb at the pads because I've sliced them both off a couple of times. I do all the cooking at home and I'm blind, remember? That had nothing to do with that. That had to do with me not sharpening my knives properly. And I'm not, not very sharp my ankle slip and it just, yeah. And I looked down and I thought, well, that's bad. But I don't think we have any band-aids. This is a long time ago and upstairs neighbors, you guys got band-aids? I'm putting my hand up. And everything was fine. My wife came home. We had dinner, and afterwards, I said, "Did you find anything different about the tomato sauce?" And she said, <laughs> "Not really." And I said, "Well, it's 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 flavored with just a little bit of human flesh." Uh, and then this one here. Uh, you ever use a mandolin? You know what a mandolin is? It's a slicing thing. And I'm typically incredibly careful because you're sharp and you can die. Well, you can't die, but you know. So I'm doing it, and I'm making really thin potatoes, and I'm making the potato galettes. Anyway, this is not what I was making, and I'm going bang, bang. And then I went, I went, oh, and it's funny. When a knife is really sharp, you don't, it doesn't hurt right away. You just, you, and I thought, oh, I'm bleeding a lot. <laughs> my hand way up in the air, and I'm like this. And I, okay, I'm bleeding a bunch. Uh, okay, what do I do? I said, Isabel, because that's my wife's name. And why, that's who you call, you call your wife. And, she said, oh, I'm on the phone. I said, yeah, I know you're on the phone, but I'm kind of, there's a thing. And uh, she got off the phone. She was talking to an art professor, Tom O'Flanagan. And I said, can you please get off the phone and tell, tell Tom to shut up? And, and then she, came, she fixed it. But these are still numb because the neurons haven't grown back yet. They will. Uh, these may never. <laughs> that was 30 years ago. Uh, these will because it wasn't as bad a cut. This one here was awful. So, but they can go back. And like, all you had the skin needs as kids, unless it's still known on your skin, and it might be, I want to check it. Uh, don't go back. Don't go back. Right? So how does this work? Let's think of something very simple. Let's think of the simplest, here's a good simple behavior, a bicep curl, right? Nice, simple behavior. So, what's going on with that? The muscle, my bicep, needs two things. It needs an agonist that starts the contraction. And an antagonist to stop. Okay? So what happens is a in my in the right, so if I'm if my, it's my right arm in the left half of my brain, because it's wired contralaterally, in the left half of my brain, right about there, a decision is made. I send, it sends out a neural message, goes down through my spinal column, comes out to my bicep, and it contracts. And that feels like it happens immediately, doesn't it? Like, I, I think, whoops. If I think I'm going to pick up this, it just happens. You know what? Um, the speed of nervous transmission, you might think it's, oh, it's the speed of light or something, like, like you know, like a light or something. 
No, no, it's extremely slow. It's about, it's about 10 meters a second. That's incredibly slow, which means that you have to actually think the implication that is that while it feels instantaneous that I just decided to do that, I decided to do that about 300 milliseconds before I did, and I just wasn't aware of it. Dude. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So a message is sent, an agonist sent uh, millions of neurons that synapse on my bicep, release a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, don't worry about it when you get there, and it causes the muscle to contract. And, and then there's feedback, the muscle sends information back out through my spinal column, up to my brain, and says, it's, 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 it's stop, 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 I right, stop. So a sensory neuron, and when I say neuron, there's really literally millions of them that are synapses in one of my muscles, and yours too. Um, and it detects when that's done. Okay? This is an incredibly simple behavior, and we probably involve, and I'm just going to make up a number here. It's probably more than a million. It's less than 100 million, so I'm going to say it's roughly 10 million neurons. This incredibly simple behavior. It's crazy. Okay. Right? Make sense? Questions? Second? All right. Now let's talk about how an incredibly simple system that looks incredibly complicated. We're going to talk about how uh, moths evade bats. That is a moth that is a nuctoid moth. And Moth ears have basically two neurons, two sensory neurons. <coughs> we call them a one and a two. A one and a two, that's all I uh, You can actually see, uh, hope you can. If this is, see the tympanum here? That's like a uh, like tympanic membrane, it's like our eardrum. While their ears are quite different than ours, uh, evolution figures stuff out a few times and sort of sticks with it. This is kind of how hearing works in any of it is that there's vibration and it's detected, eh? So, then we get uh, going off to A1 and A2. So obviously, the movement of this membrane is going to change, uh, it's gonna make those cells fire. They're not frequency sensitive. What I, what I mean by that is, they don't detect different pitches. So while all of us, with our ears, and associated neural architecture can detect when different people are speaking. Because your voice sounds different than your voice. If I had moth ears, let's just pretend moths can actually hear us as well frequency as voices, which they can't. I wouldn't know who was talking. I can't tell the difference. I wouldn't know the difference between uh and oh. Well, this is I'm never gonna get to see. When you live with someone who, or sorry, when you grew up with someone who was a Juno Award and nominated for a Grammy and could play every instrument in the world, you don't do a lot of music. You, 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 you go to school a lot. Look, I can play bass, I'm just gonna be good. My dad and my brother needed a bass player. They taught me, and I constantly was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And they're like riffing, going crazy. My brother's like six years old doing guitar solos, then I kid you not that 
would make like Eddie Van Halen go, that's pretty, the kid's good. And I'm going, I can't, I don't know what I'm doing. Anyway. So they're not sensitive to low frequencies, these neurons, but by low, I mean higher than humans can hear. Uh, the range of hearing in a human is between 20 and 20,000 hertz. And for most of us, uh, it's less than that. For, for someone like me, uh, I think my upper limit's about 11,000 now. I tested it because I wear headphones and I live in Western industrialized society. <laughs> so hearing is not as good as it could be. And I'm old. Things wear out. Um, maybe some of you are up to 20,000. Probably not. Because uh, you've all had headphones, <laughs> and you live in where you live. So, but low for a moth is about 110,000 hertz. That's so high that you can't hear it. That, no, you always hear. It. That's so high only dogs can hear it. Dogs can't hear bats. But guess, guess what? Guess what animal makes sounds that high? Oh, I think it might be bats. Yes, bats. They're detecting when bats are. Their hearing is simply to detect bats, because guess what bats eat? Yeah, exactly. They eat the moths. So, don't worry about these, this, this diagram here. If you, if you want to look at a neural network diagram, that's fine. Look at that. What we have here, I think the most important thing here, is this sort of diagram showing you what the nervous system of a moth is like. So we've got, this is the brain, which is, in, notice how the brain of an invert, when it's like that, right? Enlarged, 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 enlarged. In us, that's like this, and we've got a big thing at the top. A lot of inverts have these different ganglia. <clears throat> anyway, this ear is then hooked up almost directly to the wing on the opposite side. So when that neuron fires, it's going to make that muscle it's connected to it's, 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 a, it's a moth muscle, but it's a muscle. And it all works on the same principle. The cool thing about, one of the cool things about biology is you could learn about moth neurons and moth muscles and go, yeah, that's pretty much how human ones work. It's very cool. So, this, if you look at this um, diagram here, this gives you an idea of what's going on. If we take these neurons, and we isolate them, and we put them in a petri dish, keep them alive, and then we play sounds to them, we'll see if they react. Right? So that's what we're going to do. That's not what we're going to do. This was done before I think any of us in the room were born, but we can see here, here's a sound, and then each little line, okay, each little line is the neuron firing. <coughs> As you can see here, by the way, there is some firing. I say apple pencil, it's a not on apple pencil. My good apple pencil, the real ones at home. You guys don't get the good stuff. So if you take a look at this here, you can actually see where sometimes there's a little bit of firing. See here and here. There is some random firing. But look at how much firing there is when you get a sand. Lots. But there's even, and then you can see here, so let's see, done on that. There's even more, when the, and the, the higher this goes up, the louder the sound is. Okay? Make sense? 
And you can see then there is more fire, so just focus on that. Whoops, let's get those. There we go. There is more firing the louder the sound is. You see that? Right? More firing the louder the sound is. So it's, it's responding to intensity. That's pretty cool. So that means the, the bat's got to be closer, doesn't it? Because you know bat, how do bats hunt? These kind of bats anyway. They use sonar. They use pulses of sound. And they detect how long it takes the sound to bounce back off objects. It's the same way that uh, the Navy look for submarines. Right? So they, though, they don't tend to work like that anymore. But anyway, uh, you know when you watch old war movies and you always hear, They don't really usually do that because that's sort of giving away your location. Hey, here I am, ding, 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 bam. That's what bats do. And bats can do this to the point, by the way, that they can paint a picture with sound that is as accurate about depth and distance and what objects are that you can with your vision. Don't try to imagine what that's like. You can't. You can't. It's impossible. But it's cool. It's very cool. And so different species have different things that they do, right? And, and, and different sensory worlds they live in. And in fact, there's even a word for sensory world that you live in uh, as a species. And that word is, it's a German word. Of course it is. It's Umwelt. It's an Umwelt. The Germans have words for something like that, but they don't have a word for glove. Anybody hear sweet German? You know what the word for glove is? Handschuh. It's hand shoe. It's hand shoe. They haven't since they developed gloves, and I'm assuming the Germans had gloves a thousand years ago. There were gloves at that. They were going, no, we're just calling them hand shoes. You got a word for sensory environment an animal evolves in? Oh yeah, umwelt. But no word for glove. No, no, we got hand shoe. We're good. You know what the German word for tank is? You know, like a battle tank. You know, in English, we got we got the word we developed. We, we developed the word tank because when tanks were developed, it was because it was a secret, and we said they were water tanks. That's why they're called tanks. In German, they're called Panzerkampfwagen, armored battle car. Just <laughs> saying, Germans are great. They got like four words, and all they do is make compound words. They got a word for, anyway, the fact that they have umwelt but no word for tank is great. I love it. So, and the other thing is, by the way, like I said, this umwelt, when I got into the whole the German tanks, the thing with the umwelt is that, like, you can't imagine it, but it's, they can see with sound as well as you can see with your eyes, but it's in the dark. So it's just sonar. It's just sonar. Right? So they send out these, what in the Navy, they call pings. Right? You ever seen the movie Hunt for Red October? You should watch that movie, it's great. Give me one ping, you One ping one. You can see A2. Let's take a look at A2. We'll change colors for A2. We'll do A2 in red. That's A2 over here. The thing about A2 is doesn't fire, doesn't fire, fires like crazy. So when 
the bat is really close, A2 fires. It doesn't fire any Okay? So the, the, the bat has to be super close if A2 is fired. The, the, the bat's about to have lunch, right? If, 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 the, if that's fine. Okay. So what's going to happen? How's this going to work? So what's going on is that if A1 on the left side fires, so I'm the moth, and you're, you're bad. You don't have to do any sonar pains besides the pan. We can't hear them because we're human. But I hear it because I'm a bat, and my ear is right here because they're on the door. This is hooked up to this wing. This wing now beats faster than this wing, which turns me until I am now equal for both sides, and I'm going to fly directly away from you evil bat who's going to try to eat me. The animal actually turns and plots a course 180 degrees away from its enemy, from its predator. The moths know they're doing this? No, they're moths. What do moths know? They fly into flames, they're idiots. But they can plot, they can use vector mathematics to fly away from bats. They don't know they're doing it, but they can do it. This is cool. This is freaking cool. If you don't think this is cool, you have no idea what the word cool means. Like, that's awesome. Evolution's so freaking neat. Look at this. This system has been evolved that plots a course away from a predator, and it uses two neurons. You could build this. Well, I maybe I couldn't get it, but I'm sure a man could. But Seinfeld reference, anyone? Um, but really what's going on here is that I, this should be amazing to you. And you might think, well, what's A2 do? A2 is last second evasive maneuvers. So, I promise um, So now you've got this close to me, like you're about to have your dinner, and I'm like, my A2 fighters now. <laughs> the thing is, a lot of what nervous systems do is, is, is inhibition. A lot of what they do is inhibition. Like, think about this. When you're at, I don't know, when you, you walk in the hospital, there's a lot of us, just before class, somebody bumps you. There's a very small part of you, that's why you probably punch that guy in the face. Yeah. But immediately that gets pushed down. It's like, yeah, don't do that. Yeah, no. And in fact, usually that doesn't even occur to you sort of consciously, it just, right? So you have inhibition. And if we turn off inhibition, we get disinhibition. This same sort of thing happens with alcohol. So the reason that people don't, you know, you ever heard this one? I don't dance unless I'm drinking. Every guy in the room. Um, like every, every wedding you go to, it's all a bunch of women dancing. Right? For the first hour, and then guys come up because they're wasted. <laughs> I can dance now. <laughs> so, 
inhibitions are turned off. That's also why you're more likely when you bump into somebody at a bar and walk into it and there's a drunk guy, he's likely to look at you and go, hey, play with your problem, you wanna go? And you're like, dude, it's okay, man. I just walked in. So if we turn that off, behavior gets ridiculous. The moth's wings are going all over the place. It's unpredictable for the back, hopefully for the back, for the moth, it, it, it can avoid everything, everything's fine. All right, question? Yeah, you good? All right. So a two neuron here can encode where predator is in three-dimensional space. And in fact, there's another neuron there called B that I haven't talked about. And what B does is it feed, feeds back and it can detect if the moth's wings are up or down so it can tell if the predator is below it or above. This is amazing. So the principles are the same as they are with people, but uh, we get some very complicated thing that uses only a couple of neurons. So what should that tell you? That should tell you a couple of things. The first thing it should tell you is looking at how complicated a behavior looks has really no, or not, I shouldn't say no, doesn't have that much of a bearing on how, quote, cognitive something might be. So if something is, look, this looks incredibly complicated. This looks like a moth is doing vector mathematics because the moth's nervous system is literally doing vector mathematics doesn't know it, but it's doing it. Really complicated looking, but it's using three, like four neurons. This uses 10 million. Same. So you can't really judge how complicated a behavior is neurally based on just looking at the behavior. You often can, but you can't always. And the other reason is I just like talking about this. Every class I teach, doesn't matter what it is, mods and bats show up. This is my favorite science thing. I love this. All right. Because it's just freaking cool. Like, this is the kind of thing that... Yeah, anyway, I just... I'm about to say a thing decided against it. Um, that is the autonomic nervous system. Now, the autonomic nervous system is different than the CNS and the PNS because the communication here isn't neural, it's hormonal. So it's chemical completely. And it's slower. So hormones are secreted into the bloodstream by, by so-called ductless glands and the pituitary gland detects the concentration of various hormones in the bloodstream and turns various other glands on to release. Uh, hormones. Uh, here's some. Um, the pituitary controls the release of pitocin and oxytocin, which start labor. And you might think, well, that's not that interesting behaviorally. Then you've never either watched anyone have a baby or have a baby. There's a lot of freaking behavior. It's kind of intense behavior. Sometimes it involves things like, why did I let you do this to me? That didn't happen to me. That was a joke that I saw on television. But it's pretty intense. It's the coolest thing in the world, watching your kid get born. It's also 
intense. It's not as clean as you might think. TV makes it seem like newborn babies are nice and they're not. They're disgusting. And they look like, they all look like Winston Churchill. And I don't care what color skin they have, where they're from, they all look like they're gonna look at you and go, never, I'm so few. I was so much to somebody. Uh, and they're just covered in goo. It's cool, but, but you might think, okay, fine, that's kind of, oh, I don't know, let's call it primitive behavior. It's old. Primitive just means old thing. So it's really old behavior, yeah, because mammals have babies. Okay, fair enough. Well, let's think about something like the effects of testosterone on spatial ability. So if I take some rats, and when they're born, rats, rats aren't finished yet when they're born. Humans aren't either, right? Because babies can't really exist on their own. It's not done yet. Rats are even worse. They're blind, they don't have fur, they're like this. There's nothing to do with it. Okay, so what if we took them and we removed there's, uh, let's see, so if, if the females will remove their ovaries, or the males will remove their testes, it's a very tiny scalpel, <laughs> and then we can, now we don't have to worry about their hormonal environment, we can then change their hormonal environment based on whatever we want as a researcher. So we can take male or female rats and give them testosterone. On average, male rats perform better than female rats on spatial tasks on ma mazes. The, the females are bad, it just on average the males are bad. Okay. If we take these ones that we've made our own, sort of, we've taken female rats, we've over-ectomized them, and we've given them testosterone, they're as good as male rats on mazes. If we take male rats that we've, uh, move their testes, castrate, that's the word. But it's hard for guys to think of the word castrate. Those also kind of castrate. Um, so you take the castrate rats and you give them, uh, you don't give them testosterone, they now score just like female rats do on a mace. That's pretty cool. Also, the female rats, <coughs> so the, the, either female rats, but also male rats that we have, who have we've castrated and not given any male hormone to when they get in the presence of a sexually mature male will present, meaning they'll they do lordosis. It's a, a behavior where they lean over and rear up so they can have sex. No. Okay, that's behavior. Okay, that's behavior. Oh, and female rats, like we took male rats and we castrate them, we give them female hormone. Uh, Sorry, we take female rats and we castrate them, but then we give them male hormone, they will map females. They don't have anything to do anything with. But they'll map them. What about spatial behavior? Right? Talking about that in rats, what about in people? Well, we're not going to obviously do any operations on people, the ethics of that are pretty bad. However, about half the population, before they hit about 50, between the ages of about 12 and 50 have a thing where they have their hormonal environment predictably changes once a month. Women have periods. So what if we took women and had them do a task and looked at their hormone levels through them? Oh, beautiful. We've got an experiment. We don't have to take any women and do weird things to them. Because that's, you know, illegal, unethical, wrong, bad. And maybe we get a paper out of it. 
So this is pretty cool. What you do is you've got to find a spatial task. On average, males are better than females at spatial tasks, but it doesn't matter. Like, it's on average, so I couldn't say that, uh, I don't know, I'm gonna pick somebody that I have better spatial ability than you, uh, even if we were the same age and everything, because that's just a single person. If we, but I bet if we took all the guys in here, all the women in here, and we did a spatial task of some sort, on average, the men would be better. By the way, if we did it the other way for uh, verbal tasks, the women kick our asses, guys, so don't get smug. They're, they're better at spelling, grammar. So again, don't, there's, again, it doesn't matter for individuals. And it also shouldn't be a reason for you to go, well, that's why women shouldn't uh, be uh, fighter pilots, because it's very spatial. Shut up, you sexist piece of garbage. Don't say so. What I'm saying is on average, we would expect to be more male fighter pilots, but we shouldn't say women can't do it. It's like we shouldn't say men can't be kindergarten teachers. Right? Burn the patriarchy to the goddamn ground. Anyway, but throw that in there. So, thing is, what we do is we gotta find a task, and the problem is, what are boys like? Typically, boys play a lot of ball games more than women, girls. Uh, yeah, so we couldn't use anything they've both done as a task, or that men have done and women haven't done. So, we gotta find a spatial task that women and men have both never done. That's hard. But what you could do is you could try, you can't use throwing the ball. Maybe you throw the ball underhand. Okay. What if you had a big Velcro target and a Nerf ball this far away and you had to throw it. This is hard, by the way, I've done this, it's very hard. Because we aren't used to throwing pieces of foam rubber, so that's what a Nerf ball is. So it, it doesn't, fly like a baseball or a cricket ball or a, a hockey puck or anything that we're all culturally used to. It, it's a piece of foam. And underhand is really hard. And then you want to make it extra hard? Let's make people wear prisms that shift the world over 45 degrees. Now nobody can do it. Now we all suck. <coughs> Perfect. Now we can see if there's a difference. Now we can see if there's a difference. On average, men are better than women. You know when women are their worst at it? When they're ovulating. Mm -hmm. Highest level of human Dude. Now, I don't want to hear anybody ever be a jerk about this. I don't want you to say, well, I can't drive tonight, honey, because I'm ovulating and I'll get lost. <laughs> and guys, I don't want you looking at a woman and saying, you can't drive right now, give me the keys. I'll get lost, I'm a man. Now, I realize that a lot of guys act like that anyway, but believe me, there is no science behind saying that, okay? But it's fascinating stuff. And that's a really, these are pretty basic systems, but it's, it's, it's fascinating, uh, this kind of stuff. Uh, I can tell you that there, the, whole, the study of hormones and behavior and brains has a name, and it's the, my, one of my favorite words, and the word is psychoneuroendocrinology. And I just like saying I like blocking into conversations. I like saying to people, yeah, but you know, uh, psychoneuroendocrinology says, because people look at you and go, he's probably smarter than I am. 
So if someone says to any of you, you're talking to your, maybe you're talking to your parents, and they say, you anything interesting in school? Maybe they ask you that kind of stuff. I don't know. I stopped asking my kids if things were interesting in school in about grade three, because they looked at me like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but if someone brings it up, just say, well, we talked a lot about psychoanalytic but it's probably beyond you. <laughs> do that. That's for me. You can do that all you want. Make fun of your parents. Just don't be a sexist pig about it, okay? All right. So that's brain. We've kind of defined brain and nervous system. Shall we define behavior? Let me try. So if you thought the definition of brain was amorphous, holy jumping. What is behavior? I don't know. Um, I, I, you know what I did with this? I think I uh, Googled this. Well, I know I Googled this, and I went to the dictionary.com definition that was available that day. Okay. The manner of conducting oneself. That's not what we're interested in, really. Oh, I like this. Anything that an organism does involving an action or, and response to stimulation. Okay. Be the response of an individual group or species to its environment. And then some other stuff. Well, that's not bad. I think I can even work with that. Action and response to stimuli. We tend to think of stimuli being external things, don't we? But I, I can make a behavior happen in, in you right now without you doing it. Uh, think of your favorite food. Notice your salivating. Like that just happens. Like if I make pizza, spit starts rolling up in my mouth. I notice that happened to you too. It's because your digestive system has been conditioned such that when food is either, you think about food, you get ready to digest it. And saliva has a, an enzyme in it that helps, starts to break down the carbohydrates. Salivary amylase, and it breaks down carbohydrates. And if you don't believe me, take a uh, slice of a potato with no butter, no, no salt, no pepper, nothing on it. Uh, or take a soda cracker that isn't salted. Put it on your tongue. Just let it sit there. Don't chew it, just let it sit there. In about 90 seconds, you'll start to go, my God, it tastes sweet. Yeah, it does, because the sugars are getting broken down into simple sugar. The carbohydrates are getting broken down into sugars. So your salivation is part of your digestive system, which is kind of a weird thing, but that's a behavioral response. You have to a stimulus an internal stimulus, a stimulus you just generate, or I generate by saying the word pizza. But if you want to think of it yourself, you can do it and make that happen. And it will, it literally does happen all the time. It's kind of a strange thing, but it does work. Works best, too bad this class is this time of day, because if this was at 11.30 till one, you do it around noon when everyone wants to have lunch, I think like, it's, it's, it works even better. So, this isn't great, this definition, it's okay. If this is an organism, the plants behave, I mean, this is me, I don't know. I mean, I know some I know plants move with the sun. I know you got your Venus flytraps, your pitcher plants that actually do behave and catch bugs. But is that, that's not done with neurons, is it? Hey, amoebas behave. Various, uh, all kinds of little like, proteins and stuff behave. So there is behavior there. I don't know, I just like to think this is in the animal kingdom. 
Plants are stupid and boring and I hate them. All they do is grow and I have to mow them. If I had my way, we'd pave our damn driveway, uh, the, the, the whole lawn, back lawn, put in artificial turf. Think I'm kidding? I hate mowing the lawn. Like the football fields? Yeah, the, the new stuff, like the stuff that, not, not the field turf, not, not, the, not the stuff just carpet from the 70s, yeah. that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that was like this, they used to play on like carpets. It's different, different time. They all smoked, it was the whole, the 70s were weird, weird and wonderful. Um, Dictionary definitions are no good. And the reason is they have a purpose, and the purpose is to describe how people use language. I find it hilarious when people go, well, that's not the dictionary definition. It's like, well, the dictionary describes how people talk. That's why people get bizarre. People get really worrying about things like, oh, irregardless is in the dictionary. Yes, because people use it. It's an unnecessary word, because regardless means the same thing, but it's a word. Don't give me a, it's not a word. Shut up. The prescriptive nonsense about language. Um, grammar, spelling, yes, but you know, people, that's how people use the word, I don't know. Still, dictionary definitions for technical terms aren't good because they don't do what we think they do. Dictionaries describe when we use language. When I tell you that the definition of a term, it's very often not, it's different than what it is in the, in the, in the, in the, in the dictionary. You know, in the dictionary, you'll see that uh, the word ale means strong beer very often. And, and that's not, if you make beer, you know that, or you're into beer, that's not what an ale is. But that's how people use it. So don't go to the dictionary for definitions of technical terms, is what I'm saying here. Okay, I, this is a definition that I found, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember where. Behavior is some observable reaction that has no obvious substance. You can't kick it, you can't kick behavior. You kick the brain, you can't kick it, okay? So I, I kind of like that definition. I, I said, that's not mine. I, I lifted that from a book. Which book? Can't remember. So what does behavior actually mean? I need to say it's an action of an organism having both cause and function. And in the moth, the cause is the sound, the function is the evasion. Okay? The function is what it accomplishes, the cause is what well, causes it, what makes it happen. What makes it happen. It's very strange being in this room. I haven't taught here in a very long time. And I taught in here, <laughs> it's still there. I taught in here in like, 1996, and I was teaching statistics, and I was drawing a graph, and the graph continued, you can see it, it continued here, and I drew there, it's gone from here though. I drew on the wall too. I don't know why I'm telling you that, it's just, it's a little weird being in here. <laughs> so this will include learned behavior and sort of inherited things. I mean, nothing's quite that simple. But so behavior is going to be both things that we have learned uh, in school or just through our parents or from our friends or just whatever. And, but it'll also be like things that we inherit. So we have reflexes, humans, that just happen. Like there are certain things that are standard equipment on the human model, right? The suck reflex, uh, the rooting reflex, the reflex where you, you hit the knee and your leg moves. Those were, were hooked up that way. That's all 
inherited. Okay. So, questions so far? So now we know what brain and behavior are. Now let's get into a bit of the history of stuff and things. So first there was an Earth, and then actually, did you know that originally the Earth, another planet hit it, and that's where the moon comes from? The planet Theia happened like four and a half billion years ago. And then, you know, there were dinosaurs. There's still dinosaurs. We just call them birds. No, seriously, they're dinosaurs. It's... Okay, so I skipped a lot of stuff. But I can tell you that early humans probably wondered why we do what we do. So even humans that weren't homo sapiens. So I bet uh, homo heidelbergensis used to sit around with his buddies and think to himself, why is that guy doing why does she behave like that? I think we've been thinking about those things for a long time. Long time. So, I'm sure everybody's done that. And that probably started to happen a whole lot when, when humans uh, were able to uh, control fire because we sat around fires. And now we have the weird thing of leisure time which is something no other animal had. We had this thing where, oh, we can be awake when we should be asleep. You guys, what do you guys want to do? <laughs> so um, we've been thinking about this for a long time. So then we start hanging around in towns. By the way, you know what? Hunter-gatherers, we all started as hunter-gatherers. The reason that hunter-gatherers uh, built the first settlements, the human settlements in at the the confluence of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, where we now call Baghdad, Iraq. Um, they did that to make beer. Not to make bread. They did that to grow barley so they could make beer. There is a beer, the oldest recipe for beer is six and a half thousand years old. And the bread, the bread recipe that goes with it, that you make the beer from the bread, is inedible. But it's very useful to make beer. People stopped being nomads to make Beer. We were like, I can use a beer. You want to stop and have a town? And that's sort of what happened. So, oh look, let's skip some more things. There's Aristotle. That's an actual photo of Aristotle. There's no photos of ancient Greek people. That's a statue. He looks kind of like Fraser. No one's going to be talking about, you know. Frazier in 2,000 years, still talk about Aristotle. So he believed the heart was the seat of behavior. Ha ha ha, stupid Aristotle. <laughs> yeah, well, again, no one's gonna talk about any of us either. I hope not. There's usually never going to be bad things. A chance that somebody did something really amazing, but usually that's, well, he was a horrible person. Um, now, he noted the importance of the brain. You gotta understand something here. We can laugh and say Aristotle was an idiot. And that's fine. Because frankly, if you taught Aristotle, well, you wouldn't understand because he's speaking ancient Greek, but if you taught him English and you talked to him, he'd see, he didn't know anything. He'd say things like, well, obviously, the heart is where behavior comes from. You'd say, Aristotle, you're an idiot. But he didn't have anything to go by. Did he? He didn't have Google Scholar. He had to figure this out on his own. 
that's actually a decent conclusion, isn't it? When, when you're behaving a lot, like you're doing a lot, your heart beats faster. When you slow down, your heart slows down. Oh, okay. Now, it's wrong, but it makes a lot of internal sense. That's where we get things like broken hearts, you know, all that, things like that, and you talk about your hearts for behavior. We, we say you have to have a big heart. Yeah, these are, all, these are all things that come from this idea that behavior comes from the heart. He noted the brain was important. He wasn't stupid. He was from ancient Greece. He didn't know as much as he uh, But once you've bought into the heart idea, it's pretty compelling and you want to keep it. So you say, well, why, why do we need such big heads relative to our body size? Because Aristotle knew this. You know, the Greeks butchered animals. They, they knew what a brain was, and they could look and go, that brain is small, this brain is big. But our brain is way bigger than our body compared to other animals. Well, I know. It's because humans are very smart, and we, have, we need a radiator to cool our blood, and that will be our brain. It's wrong, obviously. If you think that's right, it's probably time to go. But uh, it's clearly obviously wrong, nonetheless. I kind of, I see what he's getting at. Now later on, people figured out, uh, especially Galen. Uh, Galen was a physician. Uh, he wrote one of the, he wrote a medical textbook that's still used in medical school. And he was in ancient Rome. It's mostly used historically now, but he describes a lot of things that are, like the way you take a pulse. We take a pulse the way Galen told us to take pulses 2,000 years ago. You go to med school, you'll read Galen. Uh, Galen was, he was a, one of the things he did is he was, he was a, uh, sort of a, today he'd be like have his own TV show or, or a podcast and something. People knew who Galen was. He was the physician to the gladiators. Which you get a lot of practice because you know, people fighting with swords, there's a lot of injuries. And Galen pretty easily figured out that when you don't have a brain, you don't behave a lot. So Galen basically put the nail in the coffin of the idea of uh, the heart being the seat of behavior. But like I said, it's stuck in, in our language to this day. So eventually we know this. It's the brain, it's not the heart. So now we're gonna skip, let's see, 1800 years of history. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite that much. These are the British empiricists. Uh, I don't care that you know the exact dates. Know roughly when these guys lived. So that's uh, Thomas Hobbes. And he said that the contents of the mind rests on experience. The contents of the mind rests on experience. I, 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 sure. I wouldn't say all of the contents of the mind, but sure, that's fine. John Locke, so that's, he's just after that. There he is. John Locke looked a lot like former Israeli Prime Minister <coughs> Golda Meir. One person got the joke, I was expecting it would be so. Um, good looking guy. Uh, he talked about there being a white paper or a blank slate. that the mind was like a blank slate, a white or a blank paper, white paper. 
and that experience writes on this slate. Which, a lot of us like that idea. That makes a lot of people happy. Does anybody have a coin? I'm not gonna do a magic trick, I'm just curious if you have a coin. A Canadian coin. Yeah, can you read what does it say on the, on the, on the uh, obverse, the, the, the side of the queen? I guess, is the king one's out yet? Uh, Elizabeth II yeah. and... DG. Regina? Yeah. yeah. DG Regina, or Regina. That is Latin. Elizabeth II, Dea Gratia Regina. By the grace of God, queen. Now. If you ask Charles, the king, if you said, if, if Chuck was here, which he goes by Chuck with his friends, if, if he was here and I said, do you think God put you on the throne? He'd probably look at me a little like, because oh. he was not an idiot. People used to think that. Back at back then, people thought that. People thought God's chose kings. We well, can keep it on money now for I don't know, because. <laughs> but no one thinks that. But the idea was because these people royalty were special, they were different than us. They were born differently than us. These guys said no they weren't. This is a, these are radical positions. These are radical positions. This is saying they're like that because they had more stuff and more chances. That's a radical position for, you know, those 1600s, 1500s, pretty impressive. So while it seems like nothing now, that's a very radical position. On the other hand, you had guys like Rene Descartes, who was in opposition to the British empiricists. Rene Descartes, by the way, you can probably guess by his name that he's, he's French. He also, in that painting, like how, how much do you have to look like that to look like that in a painting? Like this. Like he's got that look like good way to scoop an American, get that to my kitchen. The French guy's mad at something. Descartes was an interesting guy. Um, he was a fascinating person, actually. But he said we humans are machines with souls. Well, we're machines, so good enough. Machines with souls. So mind body separate. This guy. That's what we get. That's he basically said. Mind and body are separate. There's a soul. It's weird thing about Descartes. When he says soul, sometimes he means mind, and sometimes he means you're a mortal soul as a Catholic. And you got to get that from context, and you can't get that from translations as easily. It's better if it's in French, but it's kind of archaic French. So if you speak French, you'll read it. I don't know it's what it means. It's not an easy read. Yeah, no. Descartes is not an easy read. Translate. Yeah, but I've read original Yeah, it's, it's some of the yeah some of the words don't even get used in French nowadays. No, no, they're just words you don't use anymore. Yeah. Just realize this is written in this is a couple hundred years after Shakespeare. So if you read Shakespeare in English, sometimes you go, I don't know what that was. Uh, and the same thing happens when you read that in French. But when he says soul, sometimes he means soul. But other times he means your cognition, your mind. You got to kind of get it from context. But when him saying the mind and body, mind and body are separate, a lot of people say that sort of gave people permission to study the mind separately from the body. Eh, okay, I don't know if I buy that, but a lot of people say it. 
He also said animals have no soul. Like non-human animals. He recognized we were just like other animals. The big difference was we had a soul. And it's like, well, where is it? It's in your pineal gland. Because he couldn't find a pineal gland in a non-human. It's a good set of reasoning. It's wrong, but it's nice. Other animals have pineal glands. They... But it was incredibly important in the history of thought about thinking, right? So that's why I bring them up. And it's a different notion than what Locke and Hobbes had. Locke and Hobbes said, your mind is just about experience. Descartes said, no, there's some stuff that's built in and then your mind's separate. So now we're gonna skip a bunch more history. Uh, we're in the 19th century to the 1800s. People start using the word psychology. If you look at um, course descriptions from universities in uh, Scotland, especially, actually, um, you find them talking about psychology. It's still taught by philosophers, uh, but most things work. But the word starts getting used, psychology. So, okay, we're starting to get scientific, maybe. But like I said, it's still philosophers. Things change in the last half of the 19th century. the zeitgeist of the time change. Another good German word. It means the spirit of history. And I'm leaving that joke there, and it's from a, a movie from 30 years ago, and I don't care if you don't care. Austin Powers and a movie. So it means the spirit of history. Zeitgeist. Geist is ghost, zeit is something else. I don't really speak German. I speak war movie German, you know, watch a lot of war movies. So the Enlightenment of the 18th century was actually affecting the common person. Um, science and technology could explain everything. You've got to understand what it was like before about 1850. Railroads are starting to happen, but for the most part, you live that village, you stay that village. You don't walk over there. Why don't you go over there? What do they got there? Besides, you gotta walk. Then they put trains in. Then you get light, like street lights. Now they aren't electric, they're gas lamps, but we start getting lamps in people's homes, gas lamps. People, things are changing drastically. Nothing like they are today. We're so used to change in technology that it's not a big deal to us anymore. Um, you know, uh, what was it, about 53, 54, 54 years ago, three men went to the moon. And all the computing power was about a thousand times less computing power than is in my pocket. And they went to the moon. Real proper heroes. Um, stuff has changed very quickly in our lifetimes. Stuff didn't used to change at all. English, Anglophone last names come from people's jobs. Smith, because you're a Smith. You know why you're a Smith? Because your dad was a Smith, and his dad was a Smith, and his dad was a Smith, and a blacksmith. And a Cooper. You know if your name's Cooper? I, I know what you do for a living. You make barrels, because that's what Coopers do. And bakers, guess what they did? They baked. And that's all you ever did. And then things change. People start moving into cities. 
the Industrial Revolution's happening. You can move by train. In 1858, they open up trains underneath London, England. They open up the London Underground, which was, by the way, regular trains powered by coal. It was a little dirty. And they sat in open carts, not in carriages. So you're sitting there, and there's a locomotive, and there's guys, there's coal smoke everywhere, and you're basically with your head down with a handkerchief over your face going, I hope this ends soon, just two more stops. Right? But imagine that. Before that, you couldn't, go, you couldn't really easily get around big cities. Now, no problem. Get on the subway. Things have changed drastically. People are getting excited about science and technology way more than they ever used to because it's affecting their daily lives. I mean, it affects, like I said, it affects all of our daily lives now because we can all carry computers in our pockets. It wasn't like that a couple hundred years ago. So, even the origin of humanity could be described and understood without appealing to anything supernatural. Wow, that's something. So, Darwin, when Darwin wrote The Origin of Species, it comes out in 1858, uh, it sells out in a day. In a day. A science book not written for the average reader. This was not. A pop, a pop side book. This was a book written for other scientists and it sold, the general public heard about it that much and bought it all, all of them in a day. Um, people were reading them on the subway platforms like this, through the smoke, but they were reading them. Um, there's a great quote, it's probably not true, but uh, of a woman saying, well, have you heard about this stuff about Mr. Darwin? And they're saying, well, yes, I have heard of it. I, I hope it isn't true, but if it is true, let's hope it does not become widely known. Well, it invented biology. So you can figure out anything with science. People got really, really excited. This, the same kind of thing happened uh, around the time of, 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 of the space race in the 60s. People were like, oh, we can do anything with science and engineering because people, they saw us doing things, going to the moon and stuff like that, which we're going back to the moon at the end of the year. I'm very excited. Um, so it's very cool that people are seeing this because they've never seen stuff like this before. Never seen anything like this before. Any questions so far? This is actually, even though it's like five minutes early, this is a good place to stop, so we're going to stop for now. And I will see you all uh, in the future. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. I love your shirt. Thank you. Not a, not a lot of people get the reference anymore. Short answer means short answer. If I said, what is, I, I don't know any other way to say it other than short answer. They're like not really long essays. They're a couple of, a couple of sentences, maybe a paragraph, that kind of thing. Maybe a question, something like that? Maybe. I've made a test.
Yeah. It is also showing the diagram. It could be a diagram, yeah. It will be pen, paper, test. It could be anything. I mean, we talked about it in the class. Or in the. Yeah, I haven't made up any tests yet, so I can't tell you. Thank you. Alright, man. Yeah, have it. What's up? That's for the neurons. So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved. So you can redistribute this all you want, but if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and then it was called PodSafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to uh, put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music, because... Um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time.